Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Hey, kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sitting lives of feel-good sounds. Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. She's wearing high heel shoes. Got her wings on, too. You know I've never seen a better stew. Oh. Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have a new segment called Things That Make You Go, Hmm? Poop, an offensive song from my past, a medical incident, and Nirvana. I'd like to thank listener Steve for sending me photos. He always sends me good stuff. And uh, let's get on with the show. I had landed in Europe and we're taking the crew van to the hotel. And um, I don't know, after a long day, after commuting in and the flight, uh, sometimes... I guess you guys wouldn't be surprised uh, that I start telling stories or someone, I think someone had asked me about the story and I started telling the Herman the Turtle, the suction cup turtle where the lady had the the turtle stuck to the window with suction cups and how I then ended up with my own Herman the suction cup turtle. Anyway, it's a good story. There's certainly nothing offensive about the Herman story. And um, just about everybody likes it. And I'm telling that story. No one in the shuttle had heard it before. And there had been, on the flight over, a very cranky purser. I mean, just an unhappy person. I don't, I don't, I always do try to give people the benefit of the doubt. You don't know what they're going through. Somebody could be sick. They might not be feeling well. I'd never flown with her before, but she did nothing but complain. And she was a little bitchy. Anyway, so she's on the van, and she had been complaining on the van, and before I started telling the Herman story, and, you know, that just sucks the energy out of everyone. Like, then other people will complain about something, then it becomes a complain fest. I hate it. Anyway, uh, luckily, someone had asked me, I don't remember how they had asked me about something, and it came to the Herman the Turtle story. I'm telling the, the story. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's interested, except the cranky person. So much so. Actually, it is funny that I don't mind if someone doesn't like me. Uh, I don't know if that's healthy or not, but you can't have everyone in the world like you. That would be a strange world. And so you're going to have a few people. Like um, a long time ago, I told that story where there was... A real sourpuss. One of those people that her face is kind of stuck in a sourpuss 
face like her mother said, don't make that face. It's going to stay that way. And then it did. And uh, these flight attendants, we were all standing around the galley and uh, somebody said, you know, you're always in a good mood. You're always smiling. And she said, I find it irritating. Okay. She didn't like me. That's okay. I don't mind. I just laugh at that. And uh, this lady was so not enjoying my story and so not enjoying everybody laughing and having a good time that she put her hand up by her face, like to shield herself from the Herman story. Basically, like, talk to the hand. I am not, I choose not to listen to this story. <laughs> Basically, not a fan. We were standing around the first class lavatory, and one of the flight tents was like, ah, oh, there's a bunch of poop in here. People leave a lot of poop around. I don't know what that's about. It happens quite often. And she went to go get a pot of coffee to, you know, flush it all down. And um, this flight attendant was like, oh, you know what? Uh, my husband and I were traveling as passengers. Uh, he said, oh, I'm going to go use the restroom. He gets up and she said he came back like that and sat down. It was just all gone for a couple seconds. And she was like, what was that about? I thought you were going to go use the bathroom. And he said, oh, my gosh, I opened the door, and there was a bunch of poop in there. And uh, I thought, well, I'm not going in there because then they'll think I did it. <laughs> so I guess he decided to hold it. I get up early from crew rest because I do a lot of, like, rolling around and my hair looks terrible. So I get up early and fix my hair and my lipstick and... You don't? I never do. <laughs> I don't set an alarm. I just hope somebody remembers to wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> but then you just get on the beverage cart all I, the time? Yeah, because sometimes I'm late and I just come out of the crew rest facility and I pop a mint in my mouth and jump on the cart. And usually they've already started without me. <laughs> so <laughs> one day I was up early. I don't know. Maybe I had to go to the bathroom or something. And, and I had time. I actually put some lipstick on. Yeah. They have these mirrors right above the jump seat, which I swear are made for six feet tall people they are actually you, i like it yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> so i put on some lipstick and i i started feeling very pretty so i thought of that song from a west side story i feel pretty so pretty <laughs> so i get on the beverage cart in the morning and we're serving coffee water and tea so we're going down the aisle at the at the very end and yeah. and i start singing i have coffee and water and tea <laughs> And people actually think I can sing. Of course, I can't, but it sounds like you can sing to me. <laughs> I don't know what made me think of it, but uh, I was on a flight and I, I said, oh, you know why we used to sing when we were kids? So dumb. So dumb. We thought it was so funny, but it's so dumb. And it's kind of a visual thing. So I'll explain that as we were singing this, silly little thing we would bow like an asian bow and so we're in the galley and i go chinese people never swear asshole asshole and they're looking at me like you know they thought it was funny and maybe they just thought i was being so silly it was funny i don't know but for the rest of the trip we'd be going and doing the stupid bow and i know this is offensive but we'd say chinese people never swear asshole asshole Okay, this isn't a funny story, but it is an interesting story, and it's 
It's interesting to me sometimes how you have to use your authoritative voice because uh, a situation calls for it, and how people react to it so much differently than your normal voice. So I'm on a flight. I'm going to Europe, and um, it's in the middle of the flight. It's in the middle of the night, you know. And uh, we're supposed to walk through with waters every thirty minutes. So I have a tray full of glasses of water, and uh, someone had asked me for Woodford. On the rocks, and another person had asked me for a ginger ale. You know, and I'm just remembering that because it's going to take me a while till I get rid of all these waters. And there's a woman in front of me. I'm always saying, uh, "Excuse me," because people, passengers on the plane, are on extreme slow mode because they got nine hours. They don't have anything to do, and it, you can take forever just waiting behind someone. So I say, "Excuse me," and sometimes they don't understand how I'm going to get by. And I'm like, "Oh, just turn to one side." You know, I'm just going to get by. And um, I said, "Excuse me," she didn't move. And I said, uh, excuse me, if you just step to the side, I'll get by. And she doesn't move. And I'm like, huh. So I said, I tapped her on the, on her shoulder and I was like, excuse me. And just then she, like, like a wet noodle went down to the ground. And I said out loud to a lot of actually sleeping patients, (laughs) passengers, I said, uh, she's fainting. She's fainting because she's facing away from me and she's not a small woman and I'm holding a, a tray of water and it's like hard to like catch her. People hurt themselves when they faint, when they fall down. That's a lot of times the biggest problem is they'll hit their head or end up bleeding. So I figured the best way to get people's attention is I said, she's fainting, she's fainting. And then I, I have the tray of water. I can't do anything with the tray of water, right? So I turned to a guy sitting there and I said, hold this. And, uh, He did, especially because the way I said it, I didn't say, excuse me, would you please hold this? Because I don't have time at this point. You know, she says, hold this. And so uh, people react to that type of, uh, and plus he might have heard me say, she's fainting. (laughs) So, uh, and then next she's, she's facing away from me and I'm like, are you okay? And she said, no. And um, at least I was glad she was talking. So she wasn't unconscious, but I can't really do much from behind her. And I'm afraid she's going to fall more because she's kind of like sitting up now and I'm holding her like by her shoulders. So the guy that was on the other side, I said, hold her. (laughs) And you know, this isn't my normal tone, (laughs) but he, he went and he held her. uh, And so I could run. Uh, I thought I could have asked the passengers. You can ask them, Hey, go get the other flight attendant, but they're going to take longer. Um, they're going to take a little while to register what you're saying. It's going to register where to go. They're not going to probably move as fast as I will because, you know, they're in that super slow mode. So it's easier for me to say, hold her. And then I ran like as fast as I could up to where the flight tender was. Because you know what? When it's a medical thing, you know, the, the amount of time, like say she is having a heart attack or whatever, like the minutes can make a huge difference, like to get a defibrillator. So um, I ran like the wind, <laughs> got the flight to and I'm like, we got somebody fainting. And I ran back down the other aisle. So there's two aisles, you know, a big airplane, uh, and through the cross aisle so that I could get to her and face her. You know, then I'm like saying, are, are you okay? Um, did you take any medication? Do you have any medical conditions? And then luckily, you know, another flight attendant came and we got that oxygen bottle because that, that oxygen bottle really helps a lot. This woman, uh, I didn't, remember her from the beverage service or the meal service uh, but I'm looking at her now and she has no color and she's looks like she's like 90 years old and when I was holding her at one point she said I want to go to the bathroom and I I I was just going to help her up and it was like she had no idea how to stand like it was like there was going to be no standing and I was like she is not okay uh you know you also worried that people might be having a stroke and so 
anyway, we got a doctor and a EMT, and uh, we got help. It's so nice that the the, the medical medical professionals. I I I swear they're the salt of the earth. I mean, we owe a huge debt of gratitude for them because they're they're on their way to Europe. They're not working, and they jump up. We must have had eight medical professionals willing to help. It's it's so heartwarming. But um, back to the story. So she uh, eventually it took like thirty minutes. This whole and we had to turn the lights on. You know, we had paged for a doctor. So uh, it's the middle of the night, but still. Um, most important thing is this woman's health, and she ended up being okay. She had, she was on medication. She had heart condition, and uh, he thought she was dehydrated. Um, at one point, the uh, purser had come back, and um, like I'm now because I had been running around for different things, uh, and now I'm behind her again, and the doctor is with her, and you know it's better for the doctor because the doctor knows so much more than I will ever will. So you know you kind of defer to them once they arrive, and uh, the person goes, "Oh no, did she evacuate?" Because there was a strong like poop odor, you know, and that's a really bad sign because you know if someone's having a heart attack or stroke, they lots of times evacuate their bowels. So. Uh, she goes, did she just evacuate? And I'm like, I don't know. There's some babies right here, too. <laughs> sure enough, she hadn't evacuated. It was one of the kids. Thank goodness, you know. <laughs> so much better. But you know what? She ended up being fine. They um, administered some medication. Sometimes they'll put them on IVs. But uh, they didn't this time. And after like 30 minutes, they actually got her up, got her to the bathroom. Uh, after he gave her some water, all kind of things. She ended up fine. And what's weird is like by the last beverage service, um, I was asking her if she was okay. And she looked like, I think she was like 62. And she looked fine now. But like when I was in front of her, when she was having whatever whatever was going on with her, she she looked 90. Okay, so then I'm like, oh, what happened to that? What happened to that tray of water? <laughs> it's like I've been holding it for 30 minutes. <laughs> Just because, as I said, hold this. Uh, I get the tray of water, and then I'm like, oh, that's right. Um, You know, you get so focused on something like that. I'm like, somebody wanted a Woodford, and somebody wanted a ginger ale. So this is maybe 35 minutes later. I go back, and the guy goes, well, that took a while. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know. You notice the medical emergency going on around you. But uh, that, that takes precedent over the Woodford. I'm so far away. Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, we were flying from uh, Moscow to New York, and midway over the Atlantic, uh, a passenger uh, said she felt very ill. We called for a doctor, and the only man who came forward was a man in a Harley Davidson t-shirt with a metal chain around his waist, <laughs> long, long hair, and said that he was a chiropractor. All right. A, a ca- Harley chiropractor. Yes. A biker chiropractor. A biker, Yes. The captain said, well, I am not a doctor, and I will take his word for it, and he told me to take his word for it. So we asked the uh, doctor what we thought we should do, and he said, well, we need to land the plane immediately. This woman is very ill. Well, the closest landing place was Reykjavik, Iceland. So, indeed, we uh, did. And, by the way, this flight from Moscow to Reykjavik was filled with Russian men all drinking very, very heavily. Which they tend to do. They do tend to do, and they didn't. They were, that was no exception that day. Just a very drunk uh, group of people, with the exception of this poor woman who was sick. So we landed in Reykjavik, and uh, two men in orange jumpsuits came on the plane immediately and, and took her off in a, in a stretcher or, or a carry-off right. uh, chair. 
And uh, so the rest of that time on the ground, we were just trying to placate the drunken Russian men. And so I stepped off the plane into the jetway just for a moment or two, just to catch my breath. And I looked down the jetway and there was closed doors, windows. And the same woman that we had carted off was doing jumping jacks, banging on the doors, wanting to get back on the plane. So I I went back onto the plane and I told that to the captain uh, (laughs) that she wanted back on. And he looked at me and said, I I can't do that. Yeah, I can't take this person back. Right. We've spent so much time. So I looked, and uh, apparently she had found out what uh, one day in an Icelandic hospital costs for a non-Icelandic uh, customer, so our person. So I bet you it was a lot. It was an awful lot. Someone was telling me it was thousands and thousands of dollars Plus, a day. Plus, also, she's going to have to get airfare. Right. And, she, and these were, this was back in the uh, early 90s when your average Russian did not have much uh, disposable income. Right. So anyway, that's my story. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck in Iceland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank any of you who were so kind when you were going to buy something on Amazon, and so many of us buy stuff on Amazon these days. You went to my website, BettyInTheSky.com, click through. doesn't cost you any more. It supports the show. You can even bookmark it to make the whole process shorter. And uh, I like to see what people buy every month. And somebody bought Snow Peak Hot Lips mug. I wasn't excited expecting a mug after hot lips, and another person bought secret aardvark habanero sauce. I love me some hot sauce. Another person bought my book, Tar, the first book in the Tar collection, A Cook Island's Tale, and they reviewed it. It's so nice when people review things. That really makes my day. And uh, they said the characters were relatable and likable. The twist at the end I did not see coming. Can't wait to read the next one. How nice is that? And drum roll, please. My new book, Marjo the Only, the third book in the Tart Collection, Uganda Unchained, is out and ready to read. You can get it on my website. You can get it on Amazon. And um, it's only an ebook form. I will be making a audiobook. It's going to take me quite a bit of time. That's a long process. <laughs> but at the end of this episode, and I intentionally put it at the end of the episode, this way if you're not interested, you don't have to listen, but I... Uh, recorded a snippet of the new book, Marjo the Only. And um, it's about seven minutes snippet. And uh, I also added commentary because that uh, makes it a little more interesting. Anyway, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, think about going to my website, bettingthesky.com. And I thank you so very much. Chinese people never swear, asshole, asshole. I was talking to this French speaker, and she was saying, um, you know, when you're uh, fluent in a language, you tend to fly the same trip, so you really get to know your hotel room uh, where you're staying, and this place that they used to stay, I never stayed there, in Paris, had these panels outside the room, and it's where the mechanics would fix the toilets. And there was a pilot, since she flew the same trip a lot, she saw the same pilots a lot, and there was this pilot that nobody liked guess he was a jerk. And uh, so they waited till after dinner and he was in his room. They heard him go into the bathroom. They're thinking he's about to use the toilet and they flushed the toilet. (laughs) And then they waited out there and they kept every so often flushing the toilet. (laughs) And they were hoping that he was getting scared because he had a ghost, you know, 
a flashing ghost. Flash ghost. Well, this next story, a male flight attendant was telling me, and uh, as he was telling me the story, there was a live huh? moment that you can hear. <laughs> <laughs> started flying. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was one of my classmates and we were on Miami layover. Yeah. And um, he was kind of known for telling a, quite a tale. Yeah. In fact, all through training, he told everybody that both his parents were doctors. That if he, he didn't have any problem calling in sick because his parents would always write yeah, him a note. Yeah, get a note. Yeah. Right. Well, turns out that wasn't true. Yes. <laughs> so he's a little his, colorful. Yeah. At any rate, we were on a layover in Miami, and we were at a gay bar, and he walks in and says that he owns, telling everybody that he owns a restaurant and bar in Manhattan. And the owner happens to be the bartender and says, really, I'm from New York, where is it? So he gave him some address, right? and he, the, uh, he didn't recall where it was, so it was kind of sketchy. But so the so owner, he owns it. He doesn't recall where it is. No, yeah, oh. the other guy that is from New York. Oh, okay. He doesn't like. He's giving him the address, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, I can't picture where that is. I don't know what you're, you know." <laughs> it's not a real address. So he never, he never really got busted. Yeah. And this is before the internet, you know, so yeah. he could, yeah. yeah. So he consequently got like run of the house and treated like VIPs. He showed us a whole bar. He told all the bartenders anything they want for free. That's smart, so, actually. Yeah, so we sat there and we just got little treated celebrities. like... Yeah, little celebrities. So there's a guy that kept looking at me and my friend was saying, he likes you, go over and talk to him. And I said, no, I'm not interested. And yeah. he looks older and I no, I'm not interested in dating him, anybody or seeing anybody. Eventually, we did go over there, yeah. and he said, oh, great, I want to take you out, if you don't mind, um, for dinner, and it'll, yeah. be, and it'll be on me. And we're like, well, we kind of both looked yeah. at each other, and we thought, well, at least I've got you, so yeah. I think we'll be safe. Yeah. <clears throat> so we did. Hi. What? I'm busy. I'm busy. Yes, I got it. Thank you. I didn't understand. So after we were uh, interrupted with that live huh moment, um, I thought I hit record. I can be so stupid sometimes to hear the end of the story, but I guess I didn't um, because I don't have it. So I'll tell you that uh, they went to dinner with this person. They, he told me that he never took his sunglasses off. They never got his name. And they he went to this fantastic, really expensive restaurant where everybody, everybody treated them like royalty because the guy had lied about owning a bar. And then <laughs> they met this wealthy man. And uh, apparently they were explaining, um, you know, that they had to work early the next day and he was like darn I was gonna see if you wanted to go on my yacht tomorrow and he was saying basically that it was fun they got to um granted it was under false pretenses but they got to act like celebrities for the night on the layover Chinese people never swear asshole asshole so far away, had to see 
Okay, I want to tell you about a dream I had. And I know people don't usually like to hear about other people's dreams, but this one was funny. Usually dreams aren't funny. Okay, so I was in our Amsterdam crew hotel. I've been there hundreds of times. Very comfortable there. Walking down the hall to the front desk and... uh I stopped dead in my tracks because it was a different front desk, different hotel door entry area, different everything. It's the wrong hotel. And then the lady behind the desk asked me if I'm checking in, and I'm thinking, no, I'm already checked in to my Amsterdam hotel. So I go over to this couple, and I ask, uh, hey, country are we in? <laughs> and they look at me and they go, what? I said, uh, what country are we in? <laughs> you know, that's not something you normally ask anyone. And they said, uh, uh, we're in Colorado. Like, of course, that's obvious. So now I know something's wrong because I was in Amsterdam and now they're saying I'm in Colorado. And I realize, okay, Something's going on here. And then I think, oh, I must not really be here. Maybe I'm sleeping. Maybe I'm in a dream. Uh, and that's what they call lucid dreams. Once you're in a dream and you realize you're in a dream. Well, I wanted to get out of the dream. And when I was in the dream, <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. So what I did was I started jumping up and down and I like uh, took my hand and tried to put it through a wall because if it was a dream I might be able to put it through a wall but I can't put it through a wall if it's not a dream and I hit the wall and the people are in the hall are looking at me like I'm crazy uh and then I woke up and then I was so frustrated with myself because I do have lucid dreams every so often and I heard on the radio I don't know how uh I don't know how legitimate things are you hear on the radio, but I had heard on the radio that if you're in a lucid dream, so if you're in a dream and all of a sudden you realize you're in a dream, so that's what they call a lucid dream, if you look at your hands, your hands won't look normal. Uh, according to the radio I was listening to, they were saying that your hands, your brain has trouble doing the details of your hands. So when you look at your hands, your hands will look weird or, and I have done this, uh, I, I didn't remember in that dream to look at my hands. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, but when I have looked at my hands, when I've realized I was in a dream, sometimes they'll look like alien hands. And then I'll be in a dream and realize, oh, that's right. They said on the radio that once you look at your hands and you realize you're in a dream, that you can control the dream and you can do whatever you want. So I've been in dreams where I look at my hands and I think, oh, 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 oh. I'm in a dream. I can do whatever I want. And then I fly or I like beat people up, <laughs> go through walls. It's fun. I know this is all stupid, but it's fun. Yeah, you know, over the holidays, the airport gets even busier than yes. normal. And we have so many people flying who normally don't. Right. And I was going home one day. I'm in my uniform yet, and I'm walking down the concourse, and a woman comes rushing towards me, frantic, and she stops me. She says, am I going the right way? I didn't know what to tell her. I said, lady, I don't know where you're going. How, how could you possibly know where you're going? <laughs> 
was flying with this nice, pretty junior flight attendant, and um, she said she flies a lot of domestic flights, and she's on the 757 a lot. And uh, when you're junior, you sit in the seat that we don't like, where you're uh, sitting across from three passengers <laughs> just staring at you. You're staring at them. You're not supposed to be on any of your personal devices or anything. So basically, you got nothing to do. So uh, if someone's willing to chat, you know, that'll pass the time. So she said there were three men sitting in the row in front of her. Two looked like successful businessmen. One was reading a paper, both in nice suits. And then there was a young guy, and he was chatting with her. And somehow it came up that she said, oh, I'm a huge Nirvana fan. And she said, the gentleman at the window silently folded up his paper, put it down, silently took off his tie of his nice suit, silently opened the buttons on his nice suit (laughs) shirt, (laughs) and underneath was a Nirvana t-shirt, and they just nodded in silent Nirvana fandom. I'm basically going to start a new segment that's called, huh? Because there's people ask these questions on the plane and they make me go, hmm? Uh, I was um, handing out headsets and eye shades. And I say to each person, because, uh, you know, it's not their environment. People don't understand things. So I hold it out and I use a hand and I say, headsets? eye shades? Because this way they won't ask which one's the headsets and which one's the eye shades. And I say it, I'll say it a few times to each person so they understand because sometimes they just look at it and I'll go, headsets, eye shades, headsets, eye shades. And if you were paying attention, you would hear that me say it uh, 30 times before I got to you, right? Headsets, eye shades. And that person goes to the other person they were with. She goes, what are eye shades? And I just thought I wanted to go, huh? <laughs> huh? So uh, another another guy, we're boarding, and he comes back to where I'm standing, trying to be out of the way in the cross aisle, but still watching to see what's happening and saying hello to people like you're supposed to. And uh, he comes up to me and he said, um, I would like a petite person to sit next to me. Can you help me with that? And I'm thinking, Huh? Okay, so then I'm going to Amsterdam, and uh, a flight attendant comes running back, and she's like, uh, somebody fainted. A passenger, the passenger said somebody fell down in the aisle, and uh, he's now in the bathroom. And I'm like, okay, you know, hop to. Uh, you know, let's go see what's going on. So uh, the purser knocked on the bathroom door. You know, are you okay? Are you okay? And he said he was okay. And he comes out of the bathroom, and he's a good-looking, uh, you know, he wasn't young, 50s guy uh fit dress nice european and um and we were we were like were you the one that fainted and he's like yeah and i'm like well we're like are you okay or are you on medication the same questions we always ask and trying to figure out you know if this is a problem and he's like uh, yeah i faint on airplanes and i'm like well you look good <laughs> Another flight attendant laughed at me like i was hitting on him i wasn't hitting on him i was thinking you know he had color he didn't look he didn't look like 
he was in any type of jeopardy, and he looked fine, so it was surprising that he had fainted. And、uh, he said, "Oh yeah, I faint on flights." He said, "I don't know if it's pressurization. I don't know if it's because I'm tall." And when I stand up, he said, "But I, it started when I was like 22. I fainted like four different times." On flights, and、um, he said, but normally I bring licorice, and that helps me from not fainting. And I forgot it this time, and、uh, both the other flight attendant and I are, are looking at him like, huh? <laughs> How does licorice help you from fainting? But whatever. And so one other, it's coming back that same trip, coming back. I had、uh, two, huh? <laughs> Incidents because I'm working in the first class galley and a passenger comes up from coach and she says I'm not feeling well so you know I'm already thinking she said my stomach hurts so I'm thinking oh we'll get her some ginger ale and you know this happens a lot and she said um do you have any jam and I was like、hmm? like jam how does jam help a, a stomach ache and、uh, I've never heard this before but then I was wondering you know when you're a kid. Whatever your mother tells you, you tend to believe. So maybe your mother had said, you know, when you have a stomach ache, jam cures it. <laughs> And so she wanted jam.、Hmm? Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. If you're interested,、uh, you can listen to a snippet of my new book coming up next. And I、uh, hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. Okay, and now a snippet from Marjo the Only, Uganda Unchained. Now, this it was very difficult to find something to read that wouldn't give anything away if you haven't read the first two books of the Tar Collection. So this isn't、uh, an exciting snippet, but it gives you sort of a general idea. And the other thing that's Interesting, I guess, about this is that the character Marjo is going to Uganda, and her trip to Uganda basically mirrors my trip to Uganda. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll tell you a few things about that along the way. Okay, Chapter Nine: Set a Course for Adventure. The practical outdoor bug repellent clothing at ex officiel in the Atlanta airport was not Marjo's style by any stretch of the imagination. Mixed right, I need more practical clothing for Uganda. But when am I ever going to wear pants and zip off to shorts again? She bought two pairs of hiking pants along with some lightweight long sleeve shirts. There weren't any athletic shoes at the airport. I'll have to make do with what I have, or maybe I can buy something there. Marjo started researching Uganda from her coach seat on the Brussels Airways flight to Entebbe. In the seat next to her sat a pale woman who looked to be in her early sixty and was decked out in safari gear and chunky hiking boots. Marjo could feel the seatmate jealously eyeing her ladylike, low-waisted purple dress, blue suede shoes, and clutch handbag. "What pretel are you going to Uganda for?" She asked in a possibly unintentional, condescending tone, "Do I have to dress like Miss Indiana freaking Jones on an airplane? Why do people keep judging me for simply dressing with flair? I bet the local people aren't dressed in safari garb. Why would I need hiking boots to go to an airport hotel? For goodness' sakes!" Marjo had learned many decades ago that she didn't have to conform to strangers' expectations. With an intentionally fake smile, Marjo explained, "I just decided to fly to Uganda yesterday. I guess I'm not exactly prepared for the journey, and it shows. Tomorrow, I'll put on a ugly casual camper costume. I promise." 
She dramatically sized up the other woman's outfit and crossed her legs, showcasing her blue suede pumps, leaving the jealous woman flummoxed. These are my sensible blue suede shoes, mind you. I could be wearing my blue suede stilettos. Relieved to land in Africa, Marjo didn't know if she needed to be on high guard. Every country has a different level of crime and annoyances. She gripped her purse and exited the airport, not sure if she would be bombarded with people trying to ply her with services to make money. She had made arrangements with Lake, Heights, and Tebe to pick her up. She was pleasantly surprised at the lack of chaos and spotted a casually dressed, not safari-outfitted, beautifully dark-skinned black man holding a sign reading Patel and then her hotel name. Not sure how to proceed, especially at her level of fatigue, she said, I'm staying at your hotel and arranged transportation, but that's not my last name. That's fine. You're welcome. Let's go. In a split second of panic, she wondered if any old criminal could arrive at the airport, hold a sign with any name and a hotel name, then take the traveler to who knows where and take all their belongings. Sometimes you just have to trust the goodness of strangers. With apprehension, she boarded the old van and was pleasantly surprised with the congenial welcome conversation with the driver on the way to the hotel. The hotel was modern and comfortable. The front desk clerk spoke English, which put Marjo at ease. The next morning arrived too soon. Marjo felt unsure and out of sorts. What am I doing here again? I'm looking for someone I've never met. The chances of finding him are minuscule. He might even still be here. Oh, okie dokie. En route through the halls to her free breakfast, she noticed the disparity of wealth. Out one window, she saw the squalid poverty of massive slums. Conversely, out the other window, the beautifully manicured grounds of her elevated class at her inexpensive, for American standards, hotel. And so this is like uh, the parallel. So I stayed at this hotel <laughs> and uh, I got there and they were holding up a sign with somebody else's name. So it's kind of like um, my journey to Uganda is like more parallels Marjo's journey to Uganda. Okay, back to the story. Always one to notice details at the buffet breakfast, one silver heated container read, savory mints. Unsure of the contents, she opened it to happily find what looked like Indian food. The next one read, vegetable lasagna, which contained no noodles or cheese, but lots of healthy mixed vegetables. All right, vegetable lasagna it is for breakfast. Part of the allure of travel is noticing the insignificant along with the major differences. Happy to sit next to a local man on a tiny airplane ride to Kasese, Marjo decided to start her detective work. The slight, dark-skinned man seemed approachable. She was surprised that he initiated conversation when he commented, I like your shoes. She was wearing her newly purchased utilitarian outfit gear along with her low-heeled blue suede shoes. Thank you. That is so sweet of you to say. Are you from here? The kind man smiled at her and said he was named Gideon and that he was a local surgeon from Bwindi. And when I was on that flight to Kisese, <laughs> I was sitting next to a nice surgeon named Gideon from Bwindi. Okay, back to the story. Feeling fortunate to meet a friendly local who seemed willing to talk, she engaged in some small talk and then launched into her mission. I'm looking for someone. All I have is an address and a photo. I know that he does volunteer work. I hate to disappoint a lady, but two out of the three of those are pretty much useless. The postal system here is not efficient. If you send something, it will never arrive. The only way to ship something would be to physically put it on a bus and have someone on the other end to pick it up. And we have a ton of volunteers in Uganda. 
Different organizations help with teaching, working in orphanages, health education, and construction. I'm afraid the need is quite great. The sheer number of volunteers in the country is quite heartwarming. I would suggest you take that photo around and ask if anyone knows him. I have to say, it sounds like an extremely difficult task. They both watched the expansive forest beneath them. Why do you need to find this man? The trees started to get closer as the little plane started its descent. Her gold-flecked brown eyes lost focus in the vast forest of leaves, but her resolve sharpened. I will find him. I have some information for him that can change his life. Sometimes you have to step up to the plate for someone else, even if you don't know them. Gideon wished she was continuing on to Bwindi instead of stopping in Kisese. He would have liked to get to know her better. And if you guys want to get more <laughs> of the story, you can get my books on Amazon. Well, you really need to start with the first one, Tar. The Tar Collection, book one. Thank you. Bye. Bye.